1: I had the
2: courage, if that's what the the word is, to do it because of my faith and ultimately the bottom line being that uh, I'm not loved for what I do but who I am. It's easy to say that and I believe that at least 16% of the time.
3: Just carry on is the thing. Um, And so, yeah, faith probably played a part but in a different way. Um, because I, I, wasn't, yeah, I wasn't looking to be a stand-up comedian. I was a trainer to be a Baptist minister. I came out of Baptist ministry college as a comedian.
4: Hello, and welcome to Unbelievable, the show that aims to get Christians and non-Christians thinking about the topics that really matter to all of us. Before we hear from today's guests, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles and resources. But for now, let's jump in on today's discussion.
1: Well, hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Unbelievable from Premier Christian Radio. This is the show that gets people across the belief spectrum talking. I am your host, Andy Kind, and because we're between Christmas and New Year, we thought maybe something a bit more lighthearted for this episode. So I have been joined by the other two wise men, two men of faith, two men who are working on the comedy circuit and with interesting backstories and hopefully future stories as well. I've been joined today by Milton Jones and Alan Finnegan. Hello, chaps. Hello. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. All the better for seeing you. So welcome to this uh, festive edition. We don't have Christmas hats on because we don't have the budget for it. But in this show, I thought we'd uh, talk about many things. We're going to use the standard uh, comedy lineup structure of an opening act, an open spot in the middle, and then the headliner to close over the three sections. So let's crack straight on and um, start with your backstory, condensed backstory, First of all, we'll start with you Milton because you're probably the more well-known of the three or the most well-known. How did you get into comedy? How long ago was that? And was your faith instrumental in that? Did you get into comedy because of your faith, in spite of your faith, or were they uh, non-overlapping magisteria?
2: At the end of the 80s I tried to be an actor. And no one else wanted me to be an actor in the business. So, uh, I tried to do stand up, uh, in sort of 89, I think it was, I tried to do it in a sense to get people to come and see me and be able to do acting. Cause I, I mean, at that time in the last century, more people went to Speedway than they did to stand up comedy. And it was alternative comedy in those days. And, uh, I thought, well, let's, let's see if I can get into acting this way. And that's what I tried to do. But gradually, as comedy became bigger, I did more shows. And it took a long time, but I still kept going with the comedy, was able to make a bit of money with it. And as it is today, you know, it eventually became a job that, well, there are courses now at universities that can turn you into, and arguably it's more generic, but uh, it is a recognised job. So... That's how I started. Faith, I don't think um, I was specifically guided or anything. But I suppose I had the courage, if that's what the the word is, to do it because of my faith. And ultimately, the bottom line being that uh, I'm not loved for what I do, but who I am. It's easy to say that. And I believe at least 16% of the time. Yeah. But uh, I think that's the bottom line. Uh, because as we know, it's about persistence to begin with. And it, it helps to have a bit of talent. I mean, it's the cliche. It's better to have 80% persistence and 20% talent than the other way around. So I think certainly in terms of uh, uh, keeping going, uh, faith is behind it in a big way. Um, and we all knew people who gave up, who were hilarious, but
1: sort of didn't quite have the persistence. I remember you saying to me years ago that there were people that you started with who were funnier than you, but you just you just kept going.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And they may be doing something brilliant somewhere else from all I know. But uh, I think too, I mean, I think people like John Bishop and stuff would say that it doesn't help if you have a, another job in many ways. If you put all your eggs into one basket, you have to make it work. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until certain people left their well-paid jobs that they were able to make it out of desperation more than anything else. Yeah. Um, But I came from a Christian home originally. And so the idea of God was uh, sort of in the DNA.
1: Yeah. And was your dad in ministry as well? Was your dad in ministry?
2: Well, whatever that is. Yeah, I, he uh, he used he was a lay preacher, I think technically. So he, he was a physicist actually, but he did, you know, he has um, the stand-up gene in every sense, um, both to preach and uh, lots of missionaries in the family, sort of thing. But as I've said many times before, um, if you grow up in a Christian house, it's a bit like being in- introduced to the antidote before you know what the poison is. <laughs> yes and uh, it takes a while for you to go, oh, right, I see, it's it's people who don't have a faith, at least, or don't know God, don't quite have the same foundation or potential foundation. So uh, gradually, uh, I was able, I mean, but quite often, what annoys me sometimes is people come up to me and say, oh, do you know what's great about you and your act is that you don't swear and i'm not saying it's good to swear and all that but it's not the point yeah
1: <laughs> <It's>, exactly <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: Um, that's that's a byproduct that's really not the point of doing it if, if what i do works and it resonates with people it's because it brings joy for whatever reason and it's not everyone's cup of tea which is fine that's true of any kind of attempted art uh but there's A sort of binary thing in the church that said, Well, does he swear or doesn't he? Okay, I like him, you know, yeah, which is frustrating to me,
1: yeah, um, and, and and I think probably to all, all uh three of us, uh, I was asked only this morning on BBC local radio, um, whether I was uh clean and trying to make a point about being clean, and uh, I agree with you, Milton, I'm not trying to be clean, I'm trying to be funny, yeah. And, yeah. Um, Comedy is an extension of, of who you are, even if you're someone like you, Milton, who plays a sort of character on stage. And uh, I want to tap into that a bit later on, but um, I don't swear on stage because I don't really swear in uh, in real life, although probably a bit more since the pandemic. So, yeah, um, yeah it's an interesting one. Well, we'll come back to uh, all of that. And I really want to talk about the, um, the Christian stance on comedy that you've just touched on but let's go to alan next alan can you give us your backstory of getting into comedy because you are a professional preacher you're a baptist minister aren't you (laughs) i've I've been called worse like um yeah I'm, i'm a
3: minister of a church i'm a baptist minister um and as part of my training i was in college in manchester and they, I was doing a homiletics class, which is a preaching class for those who don't know. And I literally, the, the tutor was saying, the day of preaching is finished. No one listens anymore. No one communicates with one microphone and one person anymore. It's The day of preaching's over. And I'd literally been to see Peter K. in the Echo Arena, 11,000 people shouting for more after an hour and a half, you know what I mean, with one break. And I just I just said to him, that's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. Yeah, it it it's never been more popular. The mold has never been more popular, you know. Um and I said, it's not, it's not it's not the one person one microphone, that's the problem. The problem is what you say when you've got the microphone in your hand. That's the problem. Um and that led to a discussion in class, and then that led to a learning objective. So I wish i had kept my mouth shut. Um but it ends I ended up on one of them comedy courses, a six-week comedy course. I was never gonna be into stand-up comedy or anything like that. Um I've never even thought about it. And I got sent on a six-week comedy course with the Sam Avery, who you might know, yeah. like that, and Brendan Riley. And um I literally at the end of the six-week comedy courses, you know, you've got to do a, a performance. And I did a performance. It sort of went well. I'd never even been into a comedy club before. It was, it was madness. It was totally brand new to me. Um, but I had to compare and contrast preaching and comedy. That was my assignment after I had to write an essay on this thing. <clears throat> and I, um, I kind of noticed some little things on that, the differences and the similarities in communication. Um, but I ended up um, doing another gig, in a small bar and when i say small bar it was like smaller than your living room probably and um, so from a, a kind of um gig where all your mates and that come to a gig where they sit sitting there all six of them going impress me you know what i mean um and and it just some fella took a liking to me so me, me and him used to travel around a little bit and um, and i just carried on as well as milton was obviously saying just carry on is the thing um and so, yeah, faith probably played a part, but in a different way, um, because I, I wasn't yet. Yeah, I wasn't looking to be a stand-up comedian. I was a training to be a Baptist minister. I came out of Baptist Ministry College as a comedian. So, um, <laughs> yeah, do with that what you think. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Because you come from a whereas Milton and I are both good uh, Anglican boys by stock. Yeah, yeah. Um, you don't come from a, a Christian background, do you?
3: No, I mean, if there was any church I was part of, the school was kind of linked to an Anglican church, but, you know, you went at Easter and Christmas, that was it. Um, so I, I I, got into being a Baptist because I didn't even know what that was, right? Yeah. Uh, at 16, the age of 16, when I came to faith, whatever that means. Um, but I, that's how I got into being a Baptist. I, it wasn't a, a sort of sort the Baptist church out. It was almost I just ended up in one. Um, and so... Yeah, and I've been in the same church ever since. I'm now the minister in that church. Um, yeah, yeah, been there a long time. Been there, oh, I don't know, can't remember, now 30 something, 40 years, 40 years I've been there. So that's a long time. Um,
1: yeah. So we've got Alan who got into it by accident, went to Bible College and came out as a comedian. We've got Milton who also got into it um through expediency wanting to be an actor and ended up as uh, one of the top comedians in the country. Um my story is that I became a Christian at the age of twenty two and suddenly realized that maybe if God is real, there's a bit in the Bible where it says God gives you the desires of your heart. So I thought, okay, maybe this desire to be on stage, to be a performer and a comedian that I've always had, maybe that's not simply a product of sociobiological evolution. Maybe there's something wired into me. So um that's how we all got into it, and we've got to I, I don't want to count on the number of years we've done combined. Um, yeah, as comedians. I mean, sorry, can Go I on.
3: just? Yeah, I, that's how I met you. Yeah, because and and it's I actually interviewed Milton as well, weirdly enough, by email. Um, but I met you in Manchester, if you remember, um, yeah. in a coffee shop in Manchester to discuss about. Can stand-up comedy be a missional tool in comedy clubs? It was like yeah. a really round, long question, uh, long answer. Um, long question, that's the word I'm looking for, isn't it? Um, and I had to do a dissertation on it, and I got a few people who I knew were, of had faith of some description um, and interviewed a few people about it, and everyone said no. And and I totally agreed with the answer. Um, I, however, I thought, it has to be Doable to some degree. Even it, I understand why everyone said no. I haven't done it for a long time now, um, but I also it has to be some there has to be something. And I don't mean, I don't mean like full on, you know, uh, Billy Graham kind of thing. Um, but but somehow it has to be missional. It to, it has to be able to be. If Ricky Gervais, who's going with the culture, can talk about atheism um, quite easily and everyone laughs, then surely I can talk about faith and make people laugh. Um, was what I came up with in the end. Yeah, that's how. So that's how we met.
1: Yeah, and it's really, really interesting. So many things I want to um, drill down into. Um, not least the question of preaching and can comedy preach? Can it be uh, missional? Let's talk about that straight away. And also, we need to touch later, Alan, about how you not only stumbled into comedy but somehow stumbled to the semi-final of Britain's Got Talent as well. So we'll yeah. we'll come to that. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> Simply by taking the path of least resistance. Um, yeah. yeah. So I've got my own thoughts on this as well, but why is it then do we think that people like Ricky Gervais can, can preach his worldview and yet if any three of us went into a – comedy club to preach our worldview it wouldn't have the the same impact what do we think about that Milton you must have spent some time thinking about this
2: sure um well I would say that it's mostly because he's preaching to the converted yeah and people already think a bit like that to begin with now he may push them even further and give them some ideas they haven't thought of Uh, but I think it would. it's a hard thing to preach to the unconverted and make them laugh. Uh, not that it's
1: impossible,
2: but the bottom line isn't very funny. <laughs> the yeah. very bottom line. Yeah. You know, you can sort of be funny on the way there. But actually, if you're, um, I mean, you may disagree, Alan, but for my <laughs> point, you know, sometimes uh, I've been asked to speak in church and think, well, I could do some jokes and then it gets a bit serious after that. And it's difficult to combine the two. I mean, how many times have you seen someone in church do a joke and then speak about something serious, but all you remember is the joke? I think probably what Jesus did, and it's difficult to know with translation, is that you were left with the truth rather than the joke that he opened with and uh i'm not a teacher i'm not an evangelist i'm just a comedian so i am that's that's what i'm trying and it's not even so much the words i'm saying hopefully it's the spirit in which it's done i always use tim vine as an example because it you know i've seen tim go on at horrible clubs and whether you know the thing that Christians sometimes say is that all laughter is good. No, it's not. It really isn't. If you've been in some of the clubs we've been in, there's nasty, bullying, cynical laughter. And, you know, picking in the front person in the front row, being horrible to them for the sake, you know, all that stuff. And I've seen that happen. And then Tim come on, and we all know Tim, doing his jokes. First three minutes, not much at all. But actually the tone of the laughter once it comes is different yeah and i would say it's a purer joy yeah it's very difficult to pin down because you get then get into individual jokes and stuff and that it all
1: breaks apart
2: but the spirit of what he's doing is something different and he's not preaching in the sense of you know do that and don't do this it's just who he is and that's was it, you know, feeds into the Assisi line of preach the gospel at all times, but if you have to use words. Yeah. And he is using words, but he's not preaching at anyone. Yeah, that's it. And uh, to me, uh, I'm not saying there's not a place for preaching at people. So to answer the question, Ricky Gervais is preaching to the converted. And sometimes uh, it is, I think it's almost impossible to preach to people who don't always think that way to begin with. Church is a different context, but in a sort of high park corner or wherever it is um, out there, you have to use some kind of camouflage.
1: Yeah, which is what Tim's got. And I think also, I think also, um, because we'll have all have had people saying to us, "Oh, so when you're at a comedy club, do you get the chance to, you know, do you try and share the gospel?" Well. I could do that, but I could probably only do it once because, um, (laughs) uh, Milton, you said you're just a comedian and you didn't mean that in a pejorative sense, but our job is comedy and we are there to do the job. We are there to serve the audience. And you might might say, mind you, that all public speaking is an attempt at persuasion. And for someone like Tim, it might simply be a persuasion to laugh. But as, as you said, Milton the reason why people can make jokes about Christianity from an atheistic perspective is because probably most people there are sympathetic to that laughter being all about recognition means you, you won't laugh at something you don't recognize. So if we go on and start not even doing jokes about what it's like to be in church and all the biscuit selections, but um, trying to be positive and funny about Christianity, what you're asking the people to do is not just laugh, but change their minds as, as you're going and, Maybe it's possible, but I don't I don't really know anyone who's been able to um persuade someone over the course of a, a dialogue. Certainly what we'll probably all have had is experiences where people have been to see us perform. I thought, well, I really liked that they were clean, or I really liked that they were positive. They tried to inject joy. And I, I just really resonated with them as a person. Maybe I'll do some more thinking about it. But it, it's not we're not we we're not selling the gospel. We're only trying to sell jokes, aren't we?
2: Yeah, for sure. And no one says that to a Christian baker. No, you know, the, except maybe <laughs> hot cross buns and <laughs> once yeah. a year. You yeah. Know, he does a, a Christiany thing, you know? It's more about does he overcharge people? Does it taste nice? And you know, yeah, yeah. It, it it's just because it looks a bit similar.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I think I get away with more than the likes of you guys would uh, just because of my job. It's actually being said to me. So I can go in a comedy club and I get I, I get introduced as the Reverend Alan Finnegan onto stage, uh, which helps um, in lots of ways and also is a bit unfortunate sometimes. Um, but because it's my job, I've been told by other comedians, you get away with talking about God in a comedy club where other people wouldn't. Nah. Um, because it's your job, um, and 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 I'll have lots of conversations as you probably do yourselves in green rooms. But again, because of my job, that's what they end up talking to me about. Yeah. Um, and 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 what I've found with a lot of the comedy clubs that I've done is it feels to me like the um, the culture around a comedy club is atheistic. Nah. Um, so the management. The, the people who run the places are more atheistic. The the crowds still have a kind of latent Christianity about them. So if you mention a story, and again, I, I know I'm in a privileged position because of my job. If you mention a story, they sort of still remember the big stories of Christianity yeah. and can relate to them. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think me being a minister gives me a different perspective. Uh, than you guys. I understand you just uh, the job, and I'm I'm fully aware the job is to make them laugh, not to preach. I don't go in anywhere to preach or convert at all. Um, I go in to make people laugh, and hopefully, part of that will see that hey, he's he was he was funny, him, and he's a Baptist minister. You know what I mean? Yeah. They can't yeah. all be off their heads and whatever. Um, yeah. So, I think I'm a little bit in a different position than both of you guys uh, because of who or what I am shall I yeah. say rather?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's that's great. We'll carry on uh, that conversation because lots of things that we uh, have mentioned there that could be uh, unpacked. But certainly, all of us on the same page in terms of the fact that when you're doing comedy, your job is is to do comedy. Your job isn't to sort of stage your own. TED talk or flash mob no. your own uh, uh, gospel tract or anything like that. No, so we're going to take a, a short break and we'll carry on with that. And I do want to get to uh, Britain's Got Talent, Alan, because it is one of the most uh, miraculous things I've ever seen. Just <laughs> see, see, seeing the Reverend Alan Finnegan, who met me in Starbucks in Ballerfield, suddenly uh, yeah. in the semi final of Britain's Got Talent. But you are uh, watching and listening to Unbelievable from Premier Christian Radio. This episode I'm entitling A Christmas Cajole. And I have been joined by Milton Jones and Alan Finnegan, two comedians and one professional vicar. Lots more to talk about. We're talking about uh, faith and how it interplays uh, with comedy. Is there a place for faith on the comedy circuit? And uh, we're having a nice time. We've got lots of lighthearted things to say. Maybe a few laughs to come as well. So uh, stay tuned and we'll be back after this short break.
0: Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask N.T. Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash Show. That's premierinsight.org forward slash Show. Thank you.
1: Welcome back to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio, hosted by me, Andy Kind, and this episode I'm entitling A Christmas Cajole. It's a little pun. I came up with it on the spot. I'm not sure whether it works or not, but I'm sure you'll let me know in the comments. I've been joined today by Milton Jones and Alan Finnegan, two very, very good and very experienced comedians, one of whom is a Baptist minister, one of whom is Milton Jones. And we are <laughs> talking today about comedy and faith, a little lighthearted episode as we head towards the new year after Christmas. And uh, I want to go straight in, in this Second part, we're into the open spot or middle act territory now. We've all been there. Uh, an open spot is a new act who comes and uh, shows themselves up, disgraces themselves usually, and sometimes is is funny during the middle of the show. So let's not try and disgrace ourselves or embarrass our family in this section, guys. But Alan, um, you went to uh, theological college. You did a yeah. module on preaching. You did a uh, thesis on comedy and faith. And then a few years later, you got to the semi final of Britain's Got Talent, a big talent show which is staged on TV. And it happened during the pandemic. I still think myself thinking that that happened. Just tell us the process by which you ended up in the semi final of one of the most popular TV shows in the UK.
3: Well, I'm not, I don't know whether that you're supposed to say all this, but I didn't apply. Um, I wouldn't apply I never think I'm funny enough For anything like that I wouldn't I wouldn't have the um, Confidence to apply um, I was approached By producers As I had been A few years earlier um, And you know you, They they basically spoke to me On the phone And said We want to put you Straight through to judges um, Down In London And I was like oh, Okay Yeah whatever I, did, I didn't really know What that meant um, um, And then and you spend about well, I don't know months where they tell you what you can and what you can't say, words what you can and can't say, but um, literally jokes that you can and can't do because uh, of, of they might get sued and all that type of stuff. <laughs> but, and I'm, as you know, I'm I'm, I'm clean, I think. Um, but there's just subjects, so they shape your act, they they sort of mould you. They, they made me wear a dog collar. I couldn't believe it. Um, I didn't want to wear one. I don't wear one. You know what I mean. But they they said it'll make good television, and they they do this thing where they just keep saying stuff to you until it wears you out, um, and you're like, okay, I guess I'll wear the dog collar then. You know, um, and then yeah, I, I literally got ended up having to travel down to London at my own expense. I want to add. Um, to, and, and going into the london palladium I, I went on the london palladium stage was on there for about 10 minutes got four yeses standing ovation i was terrified i was nervous i forgot everything i was going to say before i walked on it was like just smile and wave and see what happens um but i was probably grossly under prepared for for that kind of thing and the follow-up of it probably um but it was it it was a, it's good memory to have i suppose Um, being on there and then the pandemic hit so and my career nosedived after that (laughs) it was just the time it should take off it literally evaporated overnight Um, so happy days I've always been lucky Um, (laughs) uh, so um, yeah so it was it was mad a mad time in my life a little bit it was unbelievable but some good memories now of that Uh, the semi-final itself was That was shot during pandemic and lockdowns and everything. And that was just horrible. That was an empty room where they shoved me in a pulpit about the miles away from it. There was only four people in the room and they were the four judges. They were about 50 foot away from me, Um, four separated tables. There was a big, massive screen with loads of little faces on. But that was silent because there was a seven second delay. So... I mean, it wasn't like a lot of my gigs in the early <laughs> days where you, <laughs> you tell a joke and nobody laughs. You know what I mean? Um, so it was literally, yeah, it was yeah, that was a hard experience, and I didn't enjoy that experience one bit. When they told me I hadn't got through to the final, I thanked them.
1: <laughs> so
3: <laughs> it was a bit, uh, yeah. So I was actually quite glad because uh, I didn't think I could do that again. <clears throat> but and that's yeah. where
1: that's where the persistence things coming comes into it, isn't it? Because as Nietzsche said, if you want to succeed in anything, what you need is long obedience in the same direction. And I think yeah. when I felt called into comedy by God, I was under the um, misapprehension that therefore everything would be fantastic; I wouldn't have a single <laughs> bad gig. Um, yeah. And not only have I had plenty of bad gigs, and you can have a bad gig at any time, can't you? You can have it because as your bar raises, you can you can fall short of that. Bar. Um, But have, for you, Milton, have there been times where you have been close to giving up and really wrestled with that idea of sort of God's providence, God's grace and favor? Have you ever felt like there was a time where God was sort of stopping blessing you as a comedian? Uh,
2: Yes. And snap in terms of thinking that well, it'll be easy now because clearly I'm on God's mission. I mean, it was almost, it seemed worse, especially <laughs> yes. because of, I think the swearing thing can get you through stuff um, for open spots and things, you know, it's almost a guaranteed laugh in certain places. Yeah. And if you're not going to rely on those, then it's it can take longer to get going quite literally. So um, putting that aside, yes, there've been other times. Uh, where, I mean, I always say to kids who might be doing it, the biggest muscle you need to develop is your bounce-back muscle because even if something goes well, you will end up having to start again. You know, whether you have a show or something, you do it, do it, do it, and then it stops. Now what are you going to do? So it's the best thing is to have a really good, um, no sulking, start writing, go back to ABC, whatever it takes. Because even if you have a successful career, you will have to reinvent yourself a lot of times. So get used to that. Um, And, you know, if people, someone to ask me, what are you most proud of? I'd say that I've kept going, you know, because good and bad things happen. And will. But the thing that I'm in control of is it's like if I'm playing cricket and I get hit by a bouncer, I can retire hurt. But then no more runs are scored. Mm. So it's getting the focus again. Um, And I think faith helps in that sense because you're able to step outside yourself a little bit. And also to what it's valuable for me at least, is to have a small group of people to whom I hope to hear the truth and generally do. And they will tell me, pick me up when I'm down and maybe push me down a bit when I'm a bit too up.
1: I think you're absolutely right, Milton. I think it's it's all about endurance and really the, the Christian faith, although people don't realise this when they become christians in in younger age the christian faith is all about endurance as well and so i yes. won- I wonder whether our faith has helped us in our comedy journey and maybe vice versa the ability to just face down a, a crowd or a tough situation and just um be fairly uh, philosophically stoical and uh, spiritually christian about it is um is, is something yeah, sure, sure something that helps i mean the co-
2: the co- the
1: complication for us I think is that is that we are the product
2: and that's quite difficult because if it goes badly it feels like it's all our fault and it may well be Um, but if it goes well it's also all our fault which is kind of it can seduce you into believing your own publicity just for a night or two and uh in theory, at least, your faith allows you to. I'm just. It, it's not really me. It's just so, a muscle I've developed. And, you know, it doesn't actually say what's going on on the. You know, people know you after a gig or think they know you. They don't know you at all. And or what's going on in your head or what, you know. And uh, you can. The danger is that you become. You believe your own publicity and you're as good as the last gig you did. Yeah, gig. yeah, But that, it's a more... You've got to take a, a mean over a long period of time and
3: even then, it's not actually you. In fairness, I've wanted to quit being a Baptist minister more than I have a comedian. <laughs> so, just to put a bit of balance in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
3: yeah. yeah sure. Sorry, Andy. Go no, on. it's yeah. fine.
1: But as, as Milton was saying, there is no, there is no magic supernatural spell that gets cast the moment you step into no. comedy when it comes to comedy writing there is no creation ex nihilo um god did that with the universe but actually um you might you might say and i think this is true that god pays for what he orders and he he does equip us as as we go but um you don't suddenly become a a, a genius by <laughs> by start by feeling called into comedy do you and it is a real no crucible it is a, a baptism of fire to use a slightly uh cheesy yeah. a- expression um yeah and i'm sure we've all had moments where we thought i i am not sure whether this is right anymore i'm not sure whether i <laughs> where i whether i can uh do this and um i suppose you get to that point where you thought and it's something that you referenced at the start milton i am i am not what i do my identity hopefully is not tied up in being a comedian. Although a lot of the time, that's probably um, wishful thinking. So let's talk about let's talk about ego and let's talk about truthfulness because I have people coming up to me after gigs and, and talking to me about the material I've used as, as though it's just gospel truth. And this <laughs> is, I think, partly why it's difficult to do gigs for churches because they are used to sitting, facing a stage where they are given yeah. uh, candid, earnest teaching. And so the idea that we're not completely using the truth, we might be using uh, figurative language, we might be using hyperbole, it's difficult for some people to get their heads around. So people come up and say, oh, so, um, oh, how's your granddad? Well, my granddad died 20 years ago. I just like the story, so I keep using it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but how, yeah. how does it... Ego then, what have been, I'll we'll start with you, Alan, what have been the, the points where you've really had to um, sort of get your ego in check or inflate it a little bit after being completely deflated?
3: Uh, well, firstly, I, I, I did struggle with the kinds of truth thing at first, coming from a preaching background where every word you're is analysed to see if it's true and biblical. Um, Realising that I could make stuff up as a comedian was hard originally Um, and I couldn't do it it was like I can't say that because that's not real kind of thing so it was weird for me at first to get out of that but um, the ego stuff I have a very low (laughs) self-esteem I have myself if anything I should be I need constantly picking it up I'm I'm quite introvert I'm quite um, probably I don't even know socially awkward at times if I go into a room where there's people who I don't know so um, people find that weird that I'll then stand on a stage and you know do comedy or preach, um, and I always tell them that that's because I'm on my own still, so it feels okay to me. Um, but um, ego, I don't. I don't I, I don't. I struggle with the opposite of ego. Possibly, um, I struggle with a real low self-image, so I don't think I'm funny either. I um, even though. My head tells me at times I am funny, and me, you know, I also don't. I almost always am the default opposite of ego. I am the, I have the lowest of my own opinion, um, and that's a battle that I have to try and constantly um, fight against and tell myself, no, it's not. It's that's not true as well. You know what I mean? That isn't true. Um, you, you, you're not as bad as your head tells you you are all the time. You are funny, and I have to. Tell myself, and particularly when it's at um, when it feels like it's a tough gig, and you know um, you're going on a bit late, and some people have had a bit of a man, and that, and you you literally um, you have to sort of say to yourself, no, come on, I'm doing what Milton said before about the mean thing over a longer period of time. You know this works. You know you get laughs in this. You know, just go on there, be confident, do it, and then you can go back to being like a, a, a little scared when you get off the stage again, you know what I mean? And hiding in the corner kind of thing. But yeah, so ego. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think, I mean, I might be being uber humble, but I don't think I've got an ego in a sense. Yeah.
0: No, <laughs> um, I, I think so. you're probably
1: right in that. And it's about, it's, it's about having a low opinion of your own opinion almost, isn't it? It's not about having a high or low opinion of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not worrying too much about your opinions because in, in comedy, and this is one of the sort of weird um, sort of paradoxes in order to do comedy at all you, you just cannot worry too much about what people think about you but in order to be a good comedian it really matters what people think about yeah. you because they actually do have to like you in order for you to keep going. Yeah. Milton what about you with the ego thing because you have had some uh, monstrous highs um, as a comedian are they Are they? How how high can that trajectory go before there's a, a dip in your experience? And how how do you handle the the highs?
2: Uh, it's quite difficult. I, I think well, from what Alan's saying, for me, I think most comedians think of themselves as the worst comedian in the world and the best comedian in the world, in that I think when you're on a high or when you've had a particularly good gig, it's not that you think you're the best comedian, but... You think you've got something that no one else has got. And in a way, it's important that that's true. Uh, so you're always walking a tightrope. And when the gig goes well, people don't even realize it's a tightrope. But when it goes badly and you fall off, people are sort of horrified and and you're horrified. And then you think, well, is this it now? That It feels like your career could be over until you do the next gig. And that's true after 30 years, I'm afraid. And another thing I say to people who are starting is get used to falling off because it will happen. It doesn't matter what stage your career is at. A a year or two, I did the Cardiff Retail Awards. And just before I went on stage, someone said, uh, you know they don't speak English, yeah?
0: (laughs) (laughs)
3: 400
2: 400 people Uh, the sound guy thought it was funny (laughs) no one else did and I was on for half an hour now that was clearly I was in the wrong place at the wrong time but that will happen get used to that and if you can't cope with that you're in the wrong job I'm not saying it's going to be nice and you're going to enjoy it but so there will be ups and downs and you know awards and stuff is great but sometimes you're just in the right place at the right time and it's your turn to some extent and you know the things that i look back on with the most satisfaction are not so much the things that were had the most publicity but maybe going and doing a benefit in a field and the whole village turned out and the microphone didn't work properly, but everyone really loved it,
1: um. you know.
2: Ultimately, and we raised money for whatever it was. Yeah. Those are the things that go, that was worthwhile. All the other stuff depends on so many other factors that you almost can't give yourself credit. Um, yes, you were in the running for that sort of thing, but who won the award last year? What who's, Who was on the panel? Um, oh, it turns out I'd met him before. Yeah, and you, there's always a way around it that you can talk yourself down out of it. Um, but these things are useful. Um,
1: yeah, and it's and so. In, we talked about endurance. We talked about humility. Again, both things that that Christians are uh, commanded and uh, suggested that they they have. And I think that's something that we we all three of us. Um, have learned, and sometimes the quickest route to humility is is through humiliation. And hopefully, you have um, <laughs> few, yeah. you have longer periods between humiliations. But uh, it is Christmas season, and as as all comedians know, um, Black Friday for for comedians is the is the final weekend before Christmas where everybody's hammered, and uh, you you're basically just there to, <laughs> to to get paid to be executed essentially. So you, we do have those. Um, my God, why have you forsaken me moments? But then also those redemption stories. So just uh quickly before our next break, we've got a couple of minutes until our next break. Can you can you think of a an example? It might not be a massive gig, it might just be a little small gig where you've been there and you thought, okay, I see it I see here that my comedy journey, my faith journey have interlinked here. I, I see that God has done something in this in this place i remember i'll tell my story and let you guys think about it i remember doing a gig in hove as in brighton in hove many years ago now and um i, I turned up and uh it was a, a a methodist church i think and they'd opened it up to the community and they had some of the the older ladies from the methodist church and then a, a group of lads had come along with their mate who was part of the church but they were going out drinking afterwards, and um, I did some comedy, and it, it didn't go very well. They didn't hate me, but it didn't go very well. But then the minister said, "We've got this. Uh, we've got this lad, Colin, his name was, I think, who's going to come and do a dance." And they had this um, lad with Down syndrome who came up and did an interpretive dance to "Shine Jesus Shine." And I thought, well, if they're not going to like me, that this is going to be yeah, yeah. this is going to be absolutely terrible. I almost said to the minister, "Please don't let Colin do this, because it will be terrible." And you've got a group of lads here about to go drinking. Maybe some of them have been drinking already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as Colin started dancing, just the atmosphere completely changed. And by the end of this interpretive dance, the, the, some of those guys w- were just weeping. And it wasn't to to do with me, but there was just something about being there and opening up that space. They'd come because of the comedy, whether they wanted to heckle or not. They'd come because of the comedy, and there was just something redemptive in that. So um, quickly, uh, Alan Milton, have you got a a little redemption (laughs) story from doing comedy? Alan, what about you, mate? Um,
3: I remember quite early on, When you're doing stuff And I got a gig In Manchester In Widdenshaw With this accent um, Which for anyone Who doesn't know There's a kind of Rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester Me being from Liverpool And I was at the bar Before it started Just getting a diet coke And um, some fellow Went to me Are you one of the acts? I said "Uh, Yeah mate He went Oh good luck I went Oh thanks mate He went No no You're going to need A cage Right So I stood up And I, I literally said Let's Just get this out the way. That's all I said. The whole crowd booed me, started swearing at me. Some of them were spitting at me, right? (laughs) And I went, calm down. It's just insinuated that more. Anyway, I said, listen, listen, just give us five minutes at the end for me to get in my car and run away before you come after me, Right? And and um I, and they sort of quite I said, anyway, I'm a minister of the church. It's worse than me just being a scout said, I'm a minister of the church. This dead rough pub. And um they literally all went they, that confused them, they all went quiet. And then I literally at the end of that gig and I'm not I got a stand innovation ovation from this crowd that was baying to kill me. <laughs> like they've been spitting at me at the beginning, literally spitting at me, right? And then at the end I got a stand innovation off them and then I couldn't get to my car because of the amount of conversations I had and most of the conversations were I used to go to church but do you get what I mean we've probably all had them kinds of conversations with people, I used to go to church but this happens, I used to go to church but that happens I used to go to church but I'm this now and I, I couldn't get out of the venue for ages and there was me thinking I was going to get my head kicked in and I ended up like talking to lots of people um, so that that's one of the redemption ones. Yeah, about
1: that's great. Milton, we'll talk about yours uh, after this next short break. It's absolutely uh, brilliant. And I'm just really interested in, um, in how sometimes we're just there to open up conversations and open up those... Uh, spaces. But you are watching Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio with your host, Andy Kind. I've been joined by Milton Jones and Alan Finnegan. And we're talking about comedy. We're talking about faith. And uh, we are all comedians, all Christians. And in both regards, we know very well about death and resurrection. That's what comedy is largely about. So we're going to be talking a little bit about cancel culture. We're going to be talking a little bit about um, how difficult it is to be a Christian on the comedy circuit and hopefully some positive stuff as well after this next short break. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Unbelievable with me, your host, Andy Kine. This is the final part of our comedy spectacular, A Christmas Cajole, where I've been joined by two men of faith, two men of comedy, Milton Jones and Alan Finnegan. We've talked about lots of things so far and lots we want to cram in this section, but we're going to uh, go back to what we were talking about. The idea of being in a place as a man of faith in quite a difficult environment or a person of faith and seeing God open up those spaces just by the fact that you're there. So Milton, we heard from Alan before the break. We've got a little redemption story. Yes, our
2: interaction is not just with an audience. but When you've done it for as long as we have, You see the same people behind the stage, the other performers, the technicians, the directors, the people who run the clubs and all these things. And my commitment is not just to comedy, but it's to that community Mm -hmm. over a number of years. And it's not a sort of hit and run operation. (laughs) It's the long haul. And that's really only the test of a person, I think, ultimately, if you're there in all those highs and lows for other people as well. Yeah, uh, In terms of redemption and stuff, yeah. uh, it's difficult to pin down, but the things that stick in my head are people coming up to me in the street or afterwards and just saying, that's the most fun we've had since the baby died or something really yeah. awful. Mm-hmm. It, just, well, you, it just leaves you speechless. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I remember i I've done a radio show on Radio 4 for a while and... Uh, the mother uh, wrote in to say that uh, they really loved the show, her two boys and they're like, they're like nine and 10. That gives you an idea of the the where I'm aiming, but um, uh, they moved to France and they had no friends in the playground and what they used to play Milton Jones in the playground. They used to get together and sing the theme song and then to pretend to be stupid for the whole of break when they got together because no one else spoke their language. And she just wanted me to know that that had been a positive thing in a mind blowing in a way for me to get my head around that being helpful, in a way it could have been anyone. But there was something that a nine and 10 year old tuned into that helped them through a difficult situation. There are plenty of unredemption stories where it's all gone wrong which you have to have the other side of it as well, didn't you? Yeah.
3: Where you
1: were doing just fine. Yeah. Yeah. And then you said something and it's gone the other way. Yeah. Oh dear. Absolutely. But But... we we don't write those down in the scriptures. So comedy history is written by the winners. But yeah, Yeah. I I think it's interesting because a lot of people, and in this section, I want to talk also about the being on that boundary between the world of comedy and, and the world of church. It isn't always easy. And people will, people will say, do you swear, why do you swear, or do you preach the gospel? And some more sort of enthusiastic Christians will say, oh, it's great because comedians are the modern-day prophets, to which my answer is usually, we're not uh, at all. You might have a a couple of people who are genuinely prophetic, Mark Steele, for instance, but really comedians are yes-men and snake oil salesmen. We are there to groom the ego of the audience. We're there to tell them what they want to hear because again as we said earlier you can't you won't laugh at something that you disagree with which is why you don't go on as a christian and make jokes about christianity in in a comedy club and i don't do that in a church either because i i feel like i'm there for the people who've been in, invited I'd, i'm not there simply to entertain the choir because where's the mission in that where's the ministry in, in that but i wonder what it's like for you guys post pandemic milton you started comedy right at the genesis of what we would call or may no longer call the alternative comedy circuit which is now the the comedy circuit that must have been a very exciting time was the atmosphere very secular very cynical then and have you felt a change in terms of the way people respond to you as a person of faith? Have you felt a change in that, a softening or a hardening, or has it gone up and down like a little race?
2: It's quite hard to tell because obviously I was less well-known and younger and further down the pecking order. So all those things come into play. Uh, I would say it's far more political in the old days. When I started, they were still ranting about the miners' strike and it was quite left-wing, whereas I think now it's far more mainstream. And that is both good and bad. It in a way we need a group of students to break away from the the mainstream now and do their own alternative thing. But maybe that's happening. The thing after COVID I've noticed is that there are far more Instagrammers about now who have built up a following, will bring that to the club. And the promoter's fine with it because they bring an audience. But sometimes I've literally people seen people say, do you remember when I did this photo and, and my mum was in the background and, and the audience came and I said, sometimes I feel like one of those comedians that were around when I started, who were like mother-in-law comedians I called them where they do Irish jokes and stuff. And when alternative comedy happened, they went, oh, this
1: isn't funny. This isn't, I don't want to be that guy. So, yeah. badges and jam. Things change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very good. What about you, Alan? Have you seen post-pandemic a, a, a change in the way that people relate to you? I would say, from a personal perspective, that the sort of new athe as the new atheism has waned. I think so that has filtered down in into the the public sphere. And whereas when I started in the mid two thousands, it was very cool to be a sort of angry atheist. That doesn't seem to be the case now. Everything seems a bit more fractious and atomized and balkanized so no one really agrees with anybody else on on anything which is where comedy can be quite interesting because you can build those those bits of common ground alan what about you have you noticed a a a change over your career in how people have related to you as a person of faith either audiences or comedians i think uh, i think it's got easier for me I think when I first started, it was harder
3: because of being a minister of a church and, and identifying as that when I did it. So I, my, almost my first line would say that um, people would immediately, there'd be barriers up back in the day. I think that's less now. I don't think that it's bothered about that. Um, and particularly with Acts, because again, what Milton says, because you see Acts lots of times and different club people behind the scenes lots of times. It's that longevity of relationship. Uh, that that has changed because I think that I, they were very suspicious of me at first. Uh, what's he doing here kind of thing? What are you doing, doing comedy? That that kind of thing. And so I would say it's slightly got easier for me over, over the last few years. And it's nothing to do with Britain's Got Talent or anything like that. Uh, it's just more that, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm more trusted. I don't really know, to be fair, but it feels easier for me to go and talk about being a minister of a church than it did when I first started. When I first started, it was very much, the audience was almost like, oh, hang on, what's he going to say? And it took a few minutes for them to start laughing at anything. Um, Where now that's not the case. They just don't laugh. Uh, So, (laughs) (laughs) it's not the case anymore. So, I think it got easier for me, personally.
1: Yeah. And are we worried, any of us, about being cancelled one thing that's interesting about you milton and it's also the case with tim vine is that of all the comedians on the circuit you are two people who talk very little and show very little of who you actually are you you do one-liners you play the character you you mess your hair up presumably that's not something that you're worried about and because you're clean by proxy by by default that's not something you worry about but a, and a lot of your contemporaries or people you started with have come under a bit of fire sure but sensibilities change I, I think some of the stuff i did
2: 15 years ago i don't do anymore not because it's it's just people's attitude to certain subjects or race or relationships and it's just a bit words change their meaning slightly and you just have to be a bit careful i was listening to jimmy carr someone asked him the same question about tweets do you think sometimes you're writing tweets this is the last this is your career about to end he said to be honest i've already written a my career ending tweet they they just haven't found it yet yeah. and yeah because people go back through history and then take it out of context or maybe in context but suddenly because sensibilities have changed social media has opened a door to a Pandora's box of memories of bad stuff, I'm not immune from that sort of thing. And also, as we know, sometimes if something spontaneous happens, you have half a second to think. Yeah. And you might say the most inappropriate thing without realizing, and then where does that end? Yeah. So, it does.
3: I usually it, do that in a funeral or something. Yeah, so, yeah, you would do that just, in just, a funeral. Sorry. Yeah.
1: No. It does seem that there's yeah. very little focus now on context and intent. And again, comedy is, comedy is just acting. And I think this is what I want to lead into, talking about doing gigs for churches or doing gigs as a known Christian. All of us, to different degrees, would be known as Christians on the comedy circuit and known as comedians within the, the Christian world. And how much have you felt supported or irritated, enthused or disabused by by the Christian world. Milton, I know we've talked talk quite a lot over the years. You don't like to do gigs in churches or for churches. Do you want to just expand on that? Yes. Yeah. I'm not saying
2: that gigs shouldn't happen in churches or that people shouldn't do them. I'm just saying, for me, that's not my job. My job is in the comedy industry and doesn't mean I'll never do something in the church, but for a number of reasons. Sometimes I've done things in churches and then left with a slightly unsettled feeling in that I wasn't sure what the evening was about, really. I think it ultimately perpetuated a subculture. Rather, yeah, I'd much rather say to people, come and see me in a club or a theatre. Yeah. Because yeah. that's where we're yeah. playing playing with truth a lot of the time and stirring things up and doing stuff in church. There's a whole nother level that complicates things. And I don't want to be doing joke like you are saying, Andy, about jokes in churches, about I wouldn't like a visitor there to be confused because it was such an in-joke. I'd much rather those people went to a theatre or a club. Yeah. The bottom line, though, is it's not my job. It's not my job. Yeah. Not my job
3: seriously. That's it. Yeah. Someone else. I mean, go I... on out. If I'm going to get cancelled by anyone, it'll be the church. Yeah. Um, in fairness. Yeah. Um, I'm in. And I, I'm similar. I'm not massively over keen on doing church gigs. I, I've done them, obviously, and I do them. And But I, I probably they're not massively over keen on me, neither. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'd rather do the. I didn't get into it to be a church comedian. I. When I decided to carry on going, it was to be in proper comedy clubs and and trying to do what I do in proper comedy clubs and working out how to do that in a way that is funny and and genuine and authentic to a comedy club. Um, and so that I often struggle in chairs gigs, if I'm honest. Um, I know I've
1: seen, yeah. <laughs> 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 I know, do you mean? But I think there's something. A comedy is rightly. A form of art and all art is about what if isn't it it's about what if and what is so comedy and art doesn't prescribe it just describes which is what it which is what it should do but and this is a general generalization but particularly in the evangelical world everything is so focused towards what ought to be how ought want to live what ought want to say and and not say and You don't get an ought from an is, which is why I think it's very difficult to do. And I arguably do the most church gigs of any comedian in the world. I don't know. I haven't checked in the state. But I, I have certainly found barriers there that I've tried to cross, tried to push the envelope and been machine gunned by the boundaries of acceptability. Because I'm not sure that the evangelical world, for all its talk, of wanting pioneers. I'm not sure that it wants creative pioneers. I think it wants people to guard the picket lines. That's how it sometimes feels uh, at times. And so you can be met with this moralism. There's that delay while they work out, is it okay to laugh at this? But if you think that a, a laugh is an impulse, it's a response, and then you're checking the impulse. It just makes it a lot harder. So I found that when I went through a phase of just doing gigs for churches, although they were paying well, I became quite numb and soft-edged as a comedian. I lost my sharpness. I lost my hard-edgedness and felt myself becoming a little bit trite and tweak. So actually I've recently come back onto the circuit because I missed that sharpness and that hardness. But then it can be very difficult to go from a weekend at a comedy club to a, a mother's union gig or whatever it is. Because they're not re- they're not ready for it. They
3: no, I think right.
1: post-pandemic as well, I don't know how you feel about this, guys, but it seems that audiences in general are much more self-aware, so they're much more aware of being looked at. There's an extra level of fear to individuals, to all of us as individuals, because are we allowed to, what are we allowed to believe this week? Who are we supposed to cancel this week? So have you noticed that? And, and do you have any comments on the, again, the, the idea of churches wanting Christian comedians, but actually not really wanting it on our terms, but on their terms. Milton. Often, I feel under pressure to say something that they all agree with.
2: And that plays itself out in, can you do half an hour? And then in the second half, we'll interview you. And I say, that's too big a gear change. I don't really feel comfortable with that because... My experience of having done it is they want to Formularize your story So that they can put it into a nice neat box Whereas in fact if what we do works We're taking things out of the box and throwing them in the air And I don't want to be then pushed back in again By having to use these words Or whatever it is I'd much rather leave it as a mess. That's why I'm suspicious, because it's quite hard to do that if people are pushing you into it without it becoming a fight.
1: There isn't really that artistic freedom, is there? And art doesn't mind a mess. Art is about asking questions, whereas, again, the Christian world can sometimes seem to be geared towards simply proclaiming answers. And if you go on in any kind of, and I'm sure there are people, Christians in the arts who find this as well, if you go on anywhere to try and propagate your art and you're not giving clear answers, people don't know what to do with that. And then you get accused of backsliding or falling away or capitulating. But sure, the It
2: was Dave Tomlinson, wasn't it? He wrote a book called Addicted to Certainty. Yeah. And that's what it feels like. Look, you need to make it all perfectly understandable and clear. Very clear. Yeah.
3: yeah. What about you, Al? I, I learned the hard way that you can't just go and do your comedy club act in a church yeah. <laughs> the way you would normally. Yeah, um, yeah. quite quiet gigs then. So I learned that quite early on that I have to get them to like me first, to trust me first, before, and, and I almost have to tickle their ego first to say, oh, you a lovely, I'm going to be okay, I won't make you laugh at anything that isn't inappropriate. And then once they get to that point, of you can then go into, you can almost say what you want after that and they will last um, and stay with you to a degree. So I, it's that for me, it's that kind of find and I had to find how to do a church gig, which, it, well, which is why I didn't like them in a sense.
1: Do we have a definition of the difference between secular audiences and, and sacred audiences? Would we say that? With a, a comedy club, you've got one minute to show that you're funny, and with a church, you've got to spend the first ten minutes proving that you're nice, and then you can be funny. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I I would say that, yeah, off. Yeah, that's what I've found. Anyway, a comedy audience is "Just make me laugh." What do you? Don't mess about. Get me laughing, and and a church audience says, "Oh, oh, am I okay to laugh with you? Um, is the is the minister watching me? What will such and such think of me if I laugh at that joke? Until they're all laughing, you almost have to find the permission giver in the room." And get them to laugh and them to go along with it before you can get the rest of the crowds on board in a church gig. And to, that's a different skill, I think. Yeah. But, yeah. Elton?
2: Add, adding, I agree with that, but also adding to it, often people in the church gig have never been to a comedy. Yeah. They're not quite sure how to react anyway, let alone in a church. So you've got a double whammy of confusion there. And you've probably got a massive great ceiling above you which complicated and they're sitting in pews or whatever it is, often the building or the setup is ideally designed to be the worst possible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah. I, what I learned from pandemic and stuff like that was, because we all churches, we all had to go online straight away, and I realised quite quickly on that we couldn't do our church service the way we did normally when it was just people in the room, when it was online, we had to change it, and we literally... Completely changed from a what I my only sort of experience of church was like a half an hour singing, half an hour preach. The kids go out at some point. Do you get what I mean? Uh, yeah. And that, now we're very much a hymn prayer uh, sandwich church where we have little sections and we sit on couches and and totally different. But that's an, a reverse of the pandemic on my on what I picked up from doing comedy and that to to communicate the church in a better way during the pandemic and we've carried it on since and the pandemic helped me in a different way yeah. if if that makes sense yeah sorry we're nearly at a bit the of end a segue there. We're nearly
1: at the end just time for one sort of final question and linked to your your thesis alan that you did the, the question for it is oh yeah if comedy can be missionary Where can it be? If comedy can be missional, where and how does that happen? From a personal perspective, I would say that I am there to be a catalyst for more hope, more joy, more peace, more freedom, more love. I want to display in who I am and in what I say that better story. I want to be a hint and a signpost to that better story where there is fullness for life where there is fullness of, of, of joy and for me although i do church gigs and i will sometimes so tonight i'm doing again kendall but i'm preaching there tomorrow morning when i'm preaching i'm not trying to do comedy when i'm doing comedy i'm not trying to preach so that's how i've yeah. navigated it because i do actually want to do both but you can't it's not a compound noun on the comedy circuit for me, the, the the ministry, it's not even necessarily mission, but ministry is with those comedians who are going through a really hard time. And we all know them. We've been them. And just being able to show that they are and to tell them that they are loved, they are valued, and that they have an identity beyond what they see. You may just completely agree with that. But if comedy is missional, if we are missionaries to the arts, in what way does that outwork itself, Milton? I think... Partly what you said about uh, it's the people. So the other thing I was thinking too,
2: though, that the truth isn't two separate circles the truth all in the church, truth all in the world. There's a real mixture between it. And it's one of the first gigs I saw was Eddie Izzard talking about missiles. It was a Gulf War. It's probably the first Gulf War. And the government were telling us that they were so computer operated that they didn't kill the wrong person yeah and eddie did this great routine about yeah that's right the missile comes along and it rings the bell of the house and it checks who's in and who's out and then goes in and just gets the but and it was brilliantly done it was very satirical but it just hit the nail on the head in terms of the truth about something that was happening in the real world and words don't have to be about god all the time but yeah the truth in social situations, in family situations, in politics, whatever it is, the truth is God's truth wherever it is. And those are that that's worth fighting for in and of itself. And lots of comedians who aren't Christians are actually exposing the truth exactly. as well. Yeah. So what I would like to do is just blur the boundaries. And conversely, of course, there are plenty of hidden bad things in churches that You can't really tackle with comedy as such. That's It's a whole different thing. Yeah, that's what I would say is that the truth doesn't belong to one or the other.
1: And ultimately, theologically, truth is a person. Jesus is the truth, and that person is love. And so we're there to try and show those hints. Alan, quickly, what about you?
3: Whatever you do, and it's instinctively linked to who you are, and whether I'm in a church preaching or whether I'm in a comedy club with other comedians and audience that isn't a congregation in a sense or whether I'm in the pub with me mates it's literally about who you are and you carry that with you it has to be authentic doesn't it what you do even if you're playing a character like Milton does he plays it authentically and because of who I am this is who I am that's what I bring to it It, for me there's no divide there you go
1: Fantastic. Thank you, Milton Jones and Alan Finnegan. You have been watching Unbelievable, a Christmas cajole, very much inside the Comedians studio. And we've talked about this sort of boundaries and barriers between faith and comedy. We hope that you have smiled. We hope that you've been given some food for thought, not that you need any after Christmas, but thank you for joining us. And we will be back with more episodes of Unbelievable in the new year. Once again, just finally, thank you to Milton Jones and Alan Finnegan you can see them on YouTube you can see them around the country and do go up and say that you loved them on this podcast because that will mean a lot to (laughs) me if not to them we will see you soon on Unbelievable from Premier Christian Radio goodbye
4: Thank you for joining us on Unbelievable, the show that aims to get you thinking. We would love to hear your thoughts. Do get in touch. You can email us at unbelievable at premier.org.uk or leave a comment on our Twitter account at unbelievablefe or on the Premier Unbelievable Facebook page. And do check out our website, premierunbelievable.com. Registering there gives you access to all of our web content and our newsletter, through which you can gain access to hours of exclusive bonus content. That's premierunbelievable.com. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you will automatically be entered into our competition to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to Unbelievable, please do consider rating and reviewing it on your podcast platform. Thank you for listening and see you next week.